Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. I'm excited about today. Welcome. Today we are uh, we're continuing our series, Disarming the Dark Side, and uh, we're talking about an area of spiritual warfare that for some folks is uh, synonymous with uh, the most bizarre, the most eerie, and uh, even kind of skepticism-inducing elements of this battle, this ongoing battle that we are in against the dark side, and that is uh, demon possession. Topics about that, we're going to be talking about demon possession and the exorcism of demons, or the the casting out of spirits. Uh, The word exorcism uh, just comes from a Greek word that means the the banishing of spirits. Um, It's different from the word, uh, total different word from exercising, which is the the needless punishing of your body, uh, which I don't believe in at all, um, obviously. Um, Different spelling, different Latin root. Anyway, but exorcism, what is with that. What's with this? When I say that word, I'm guessing a lot of us probably go to very similar thoughts. Scary movies, right? We, we, we all have seen uh, something like that. These, these movies, people tied down in their heads spinning around or they're crawling out of a TV or, you know, coming down the stairs backwards or something like that. Anyway, what's interesting, we, we all have these associations with the concept, but what's interesting is around the world, Every culture, since the beginning of man, uh, almost every culture has some awareness of people being infested with some sort of evil spirits. Uh, So this isn't just something limited to, you know, one religion or just something, you know, one group of people uh, came up with or invented. It's something folks have been witnessing for thousands and thousands of years in every corner of the globe. It's common to people, which, which makes sense when you think about it, because demons don't care what religion you are. They care about one thing, that you're human, and that's enough to make them hate you. And that's what we've discovered in this series. That's enough to make them hate you. Now, there's a lot of mystery uh, kind of associated with, with this topic. As we talked about in week one, uh, we don't know everything but the, the, the Bible does teach us what we need to know. It teaches us enough to know to not be victims of the dark side, but rather to overcome the devil, which is our goal. And uh, there's some very important things for every believer, not just, you know, professional exorcist priests. Every believer uh, needs to know as we look at the life of Christ, the life of the early church, and uh, we're going to be uh, looking at these things regarding both demon possession and exorcism. So if you're new to Generations Church, uh, you picked a doozy of a Sunday to come. Uh, Welcome to Exorcist Sunday. Uh, (laughs) Hallelujah. Fantastic. Uh, Just a reminder, next week we're going to have a very special guest with us, uh, Gerald Davis. uh, Someone we love is going to be preaching here. He's a great friend of our church. Uh, He'll be preaching next Sunday. And then the week after that, that's actually the week after Thanksgiving, uh, we'll be finishing this series by answering your questions. That'll be Q&A Sunday. So make sure you come the Sunday after Thanksgiving. You'll have had plenty of time to recover from that turkey coma. You can, you know, throughout Friday and Saturday. Sunday morning, you want to come to church. We're going to be answering your questions. Uh, 
so be sending them in now, by the way, too. You can do that on the church app. That's the easiest way to do it. Just click, download the church app, click on questions for pastor that come right to me. And I'm excited because we're already getting uh, so many good, awesome, wild, and brilliant questions uh, that are coming in. So don't miss that one. Okay. With that in mind, let's, uh, let's dive in here. We're going to look at some famous passages in Scripture uh, that shed some light on casting out demons. The first one we're going to look at is in Mark. Uh, chapter 9. Then we're going to look at the book of Acts. Man, oh man, there's just, it was so hard to even pick out what um, passages to limit our attention to this morning. In our home life handout, there's going to be uh, th- this list, which you'll be, you can also download uh, that handout online. Uh, so you, there's lots more scriptures you can look at to check out more about this topic. This is kind of my top 10 uh, exorcism passages you can read through. Um, you know, bedtime stories for the kiddos. Just pick one. <laughs> You know, daddy's going to read you another story. No! Uh, uh, we could, and we could spend hours and hours and hours looking at each one of these cases. But So there's intentionally more information that we could ever cover here so that you can, if you want to, dive deeper into this yourself or with a group of your friends, which I suggest, and you can do that. Um, but our goal is we want to bring this subject and the whole subject of spiritual warfare out of the realm of of mystery and myth, uh, and into the light. We want to bring it into the light. This is something that's real, uh, but we don't need to sensationalize it, but rather we, we want to make us wise warriors. I think that's what we are called to be. Christians are called to be wise warriors, and so that's what we want to be. So let's start with some facts that we can say for certain about this subject, d- demon possession. Number one, we could say this. Most cases of demonic attack do not involve demonic possession. Most cases of demonic attack do not involve demonic possession. It's a relatively rare subset of spiritual warfare that we engage in, the subject that we're talking about today. You know, if you're looking at a Venn diagram, spiritual warfare, possession is is for for us kind of a rare subset of that. In the the scriptures, when you're reading some of these stories in the Greek, uh, what they use for he had a spirit or something like that, or he had a demon, uh, it actually is, is the verb form of the word demon. So we really more accurately, they were demonized. And demonized could mean they were possessed, or could mean they were being just attacked or lied to or something like that, influenced in some way. So uh, sometimes what, what you know, looks like a possession could actually just be a case of uh, being oppressed through the lies of the devil or them tormenting, the devil tormenting people in some way. Uh, the Apostle Paul for instance, he talked about uh, a spirit from Satan that kept attacking him. He was demonized by this spirit. Now, he certainly wasn't possessed by the devil. That's not what we get from that story. But it did oppress him repeatedly. And so it's just an example. We want to be cautious uh, when we're, doing, when we're you know, actually engaging in this in day-to-day life. We, don't want, we want to be cautious not to assume that every infirmity or every problem uh, is a case of demonic possession. Uh, that being said possession is real. It is real. And I can tell you, growing up in the church, uh, I've witnessed it. I've witnessed possession as well as I've witnessed the freedom that people experience when that spirit is cast out. It's a real thing. It really happens. It happens in this church. It's not always front and center. It's not always something you see all the way, all the time, uh, front and center, because we don't allow, like to allow the, the devil to take center stage uh, and make a show. So that's one thing. Number two, demons do crave They do seem to crave to live inside us and will flock to us when our house 
is unoccupied. We're going to get into that in a little bit. There's a number of passages that uh, emphasize how much demons want to be inside of human beings. For whatever class, this, this, whatever reason, this class of impure spirits, and it, it, it does seem to be some suggestion that there are different classes, but this class of impure spirit doesn't just want to wander to and fro. They want to be inside people. There's some strong evidence for this. Um, just like there are different classes of angels, there's some evidence there's some different classes of, of, on the dark side too. Uh, maybe we'll get into that a little bit in Q&A Sunday if someone asks about it. But this class of spirit for sure wants to be inside us and not just to wander around, especially when they find a, a house, a body, unoccupied by the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. Fascinating passage that Jesus, Jesus says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, so, so here there's been an exorcism, they've gotten rid of a demon, it's come out of a person, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. So they just don't like being out there. It's like a desert to them, being out in the regular world. The outside feels like that. Then it says, the spirit says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied. That's going to be really key, unoccupied. Swept, clean, and put in order. So interesting way to describe this. So the person here he's describing was set free. They, they had their clarity returned to them. But apparently just being nice and normal again isn't enough. The Holy Spirit in this case, hasn't arrived to take up residence. It's an empty house. It's an empty house. It's, it looks nice. It's all set in order, but it's empty. It says, then the demon goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Some ominous words there. The issue Jesus is saying is, here is, what rooms are you giving? What room in your house are you giving to the Spirit of God? Are you occupied fully by the Holy Spirit, right? Or are you leaving room for other spirits? Is there room in your house? The big message here, the big message we should notice from this, it's not enough to just try to live a nice, normal life that seems successful and typical to the outside world. I, I said this before, Satan is not going around trying to possess Satanists. He's not trying to just possess Satanists. He, he is, his forces, his minions are out there looking for an empty house with a nice lawn out front, right? It does not matter how good and put together your life is. If your house is empty, if it is not filled with the Holy Spirit, that is just the sort of thing he's looking for. Without Jesus, that's any of us. That's any of us. Okay, let's look at number three. What we could say is, Here's another interesting thing. Sometimes, sometimes illness has a demonic root. Sometimes, but not always. Sometimes, but not always. Uh, not all sickness is, is specifically demonic. Remember, we, we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. And, and that is just the sad fact. We live in a fallen world where suffering happens, sickness happens, injustice happens, uh, because the world is fallen. Bodies break down. Um, and, and people with free will and sometimes bad chemicals do horrible things to one another. We should never accuse every person who comes to us who is ill, either bodily or mentally in any way. Every person, we should not just accuse them of being uh, possessed. 
That being said, there are instances of demon possession or demon influence that can manifest as a kind of illness. There are instances. Even if, sometimes even if there is a diagnosable physical or mental illness, if you go to the doctor and they're, okay, we see this thing, this is why you're sick. Scripture shows us that even that can have a demonic root. Let's look at an example in Mark chapter 9 to see an example. Here's the first of our biblical bedtime stories of demons. Here we go, Mark chapter 9. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law argued with them. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. So Jesus walks up, and there's this debate going on with these people. And Jesus walks up and says, what's going on? What are you all arguing about? And verse 17, so a man from the crowd says, teacher, I brought my son who was possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. When it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So here's a case where there's already been a a failed exorcism attempt here. His disciples tried. It didn't work. And that's what's going on. Jesus' response to hearing this is, in verse 19, Oh, you unbelieving generation. You unbelieving generation. It's interesting. So Jesus is identifying one root issue here. This is one root issue. It's a a faith issue, a lack of belief, a lack of faith. You know, the battle is for our mind, isn't it? That's the the battleground here. And the battle for what we believe, the battle to, to the extent that we believe it, and so Jesus is identifying that right up front. He's, he, he's going to reemphasize that in a few moments. He says, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me, says Jesus. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Now, by the way, what physical ailment does this sound like? Epilepsy, Right? It's, it sounds like epilepsy. Um, this does not mean all epilepsy is demon possession by any mean, right? We're not getting weird on that. What it means is that some manifestations of demonic activity can look like that. Some manifestations can look like that. So you can't rush to judgment of demon possession based on symptoms. You need something uh, really called discernment, which we'll get to in a few minutes too. In verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Oh, and this answer just grieves me. How long has he been like this? And the father's answer is from childhood. The Greek word from childhood is, it means a toddler. It's after newborn. It's like two or three years old. It's just so sad. From childhood. You know, I would love to live in a world of karma where uh, I could say, well, what did he do wrong to get that? Uh, you know, you know what? Nothing. The, the two-year-old did nothing wrong Uh, to get possessed here. Nothing at all. I would love to be able to feel extra safe and say, well, as long as I avoid that thing and I don't do that thing, I will never get contaminated by demons. But we live in a world where people uh, are hurt and they're attacked and they suffer greatly. And it's not always because of something they brought on themselves. Amen? Amen. From childhood, he answers. He says, it has often, the, the dad continues, it's often thrown him into the fire into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, (laughs) everything is possible for the one who believes. Brings us back to faith here, doesn't it? 
to, who believes. Everything, everything's possible. How much do you trust God? If you think Satan has the power, if you think it's, it's going to be hard, or you got to get the ritual all just right to do it, you got to jump through these hoops, uh, he'll play that game with you. Satan will play that game with you. But if you know the authority that you have in Christ, I'm telling you, you can cast this thing out. In verse 24, the father says, I do believe. I love it, what he comes back with. Help my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help my unbelief. I'm working through this, he's saying. I believe, but I got unbelief here too. It's a beautiful prayer that some of us need to pray, right? It, the, the, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm still struggling here. And notice Jesus doesn't rebuke him for saying this. Who does he rebuke? When Jesus saw a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf, mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Notice the extra command. Come out of him and don't come back. Don't come back. Because what did we just hear about the un unoccupied house? It says the spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that some around him said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. What a beautiful, beautiful story there. It says after Jesus had gone indoors, his, his disciples kind of want to have a powwow here. And they, they asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? And so now Jesus offers what's interesting. It's a, it's a secondary element to a successful exorcism. He talked about faith, right? What you believe, how you believe it. Now he says one more thing. He says this kind can come out only by prayer. This kind comes out only by prayer. That's interesting. This kind, this kind. So there are different kinds, I'm guessing. This kind come out only by prayer. What's really interesting about this story, he says this kind comes out only by prayer. What's the one thing Jesus did not do in this exorcism? Pray. He didn't pray. He commanded the Spirit to leave, but he never prayed to the Father. There's other times where he prays to the Father. He doesn't do that here. He says, well, you got, you got to pray to get these, and then he doesn't pray. So what does he mean? What Jesus is saying here. This kind comes out only by prayer. Some versions of your Bible will say prayer and fasting. The word fasting doesn't appear in the earliest translations they have in the oldest Greek manuscripts. That's why some of your Bibles don't say it. What Jesus is not saying here is, uh, well, when you, get, when you come across this kind of demon, you got to pray the right prayer as part of the ritual to cast the demon out. Uh, rather, what he's saying is your life needs to be a life that is characterized by prayer. By the time you go into this encounter, you need to be a person of prayer. Jesus doesn't say, oh, it's this kind of demon. Okay, look, everybody hold on. Give me an hour. I'm going to go do some prayer, and I'll come back. He doesn't get out his demon Rolodex and go, okay, what's the right incantation? This one, okay, right? Expecto Patronum. He doesn't do that. <laughs> No, he's, he says, as your life is characterized by prayer, as your relationship with Jesus is that intimate, you have that intimate a relationship that you know that you are empowered and that power comes from Jesus, then you rebuke the, the demon in Jesus' name and it has to flee. You live a life characterized by prayer. You rebuke the demon and it has to flee. Notice Jesus never begs the demon to leave. We don't have to beg. We don't need to shake holy water. 
or, you know, repeat some kind of mantra like a spell. That's Hollywood. That, you know, makes for good movies. It's not biblical. That's superstition. It's voodoo. You understand? Jesus Christ has given you power and authority over evil spirits. And he tells us that if we are people with an authentic prayer-filled relationship with Jesus, we command the spirits in the name of Jesus, they have to flee. That's what he tells us. Do you trust that? Because that's where the faith and the belief comes in. Do you trust what Jesus says? So let's add, we can say a few more statements to what we know about exorcism here. Number four, Jesus has given his disciples authority over demons. This comes really clearly to the surface here in Luke chapter 10, right there, because he doesn't just talk about the 12 apostles here. He, he, it's all of his disciples. It's all 72 people who are following him. He tells all of them, if you're a follower of mine, this is your authority. So that would include you and me. He says, if, if you're a follower of mine, here's the authority. I'm passing it on to you. That's you and me. Isn't that good news? That's good news. The devil, the way he wins is to keep you from this knowledge. That's, that's the only way he wins, that you don't know that you have this weapon. Number five. This is good. Some Christians will be gifted with more spiritual intuition than other Christians. And, and that intuition or discernment, that can be useful in discerning a case of possession. Some Christians will be gifted with this, spiritually intuitive. Now, where am I getting that from? There's a scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to 10, you see it here. It lists different kinds of, of spirits, different kinds of gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He gives gifts to the church that he gives to different people. And one of these gifts is the, the gift of distinguishing between spirits or the discerning of spirits. It might be in your, your Bible. The distinguishing between. This Greek word diakresis means to recognize differences and be able to categorize. Some of you just have this like natural ability. That's the way you think. You just recognize and categorize, recognize, categorize, right? You just do it real naturally. To be able to do that within the spirit realm, though, is a gift of the spirit. And it's given by the Holy Spirit. It's a gift some Christians are given, which means some Christians are not. Okay? This is a gift that will be helpful uh, when it comes to any kind of demonic encounter. If you have it, great. If you don't, it might be good to take somebody along with you who has that gift. Uh, that'd be good. You, you can still cast out spirits. We're all told to cast out spirits in the name of Jesus in faith. With, you can do it without this gift of discernment, but what you'll need to rely on is just really listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you'll, you just have to listen to his leading and be obedient. Um, by the way, this is not an issue of maturity. Okay? Like, well, more spiritually mature people have this gift, less spiritually people don't. It's a gift given to certain Christians. They may be mature or immature, but it's given to them. It's not earned. You don't earn gifts. Right? That's not a gift. That's a salary. Right? So you're not, you don't earn this gift. Some of you will have this gift. Some of you will not. The Holy Spirit determines it. I, just to go on record, do not have this gift. <sighs> Shocking, right? I, I am, I'm pretty spiritually colorblind when it comes to uh, discernment of demons. I don't mind saying that. I just am. And, and I grew up charismatic when everybody in the church had this gift. <laughs> Somehow I got, I got left out. Everybody had it except for me, right? We'd go into a place and... and 
someone would be like, oh, I just, I sense an evil presence here. And I'd be like, I, th- I think the lights are just dim. Maybe if we just turn them on, everybody will be good. We go on mission trips to other countries, and people get off the plane, just, ah, oh, I just, I, I can sense the demonic oppression in this country, can't you? You feel that? You feel that? And I'm like, I, I feel humidity. I think it's humid. <laughs> and I smell goat cooking. I think it's time to eat. You know, I mean, that's kind of... Um, but the Bible says that there will be people who are gifted in that. I'll tell you, my wife, I believe, is gifted in that. She will discern things right on the spot walking in a room. Um, and that's great. It's a blessing to the church. So I'll just add, uh, most everyone I've talked to about this thinks they are gifted in discernment. And that may be true. I may be the only Christian who got skipped. But I'll tell you this, I'm praying for it because the Bible says pray for the gifts, right? So you can eagerly seek the gifts. Also notice, uh, I want to warn you just about one other thing, and then we'll leave this. This is not discernment between, uh, this is discernment between types of spirits. That's what the words mean. It's discerning between types of spirits, good or bad, evil, evil or angelic spirits. Uh, it is not discernment of people's motives. Uh, so if someone's favorite pastime is discerning others' motives, that's called judging. Okay? I'll just leave that behind and let you think about that for a while. I want you to come back next week, so here we go. Number six. Let's say, what else could we say? The power over demons lies not in having the right formula, but the right faith. That's what we see in, in these stories. If you, all, all 10 of those top 10 lists there, it's not the right formula. Some of them have different formulas. It's the right faith. It's not the right ritual. It's the right relationship with Jesus. It's your relationship with Jesus. Let's see how this works out in the, in the book of Acts. This is really good. We're going to compare two different exorcisms in the book of Acts. Uh, we saw how Jesus cast out a spirit. And we're going to look at the apostle Paul now um, and observe him. So this is, will be a few years later. How do, what happens here? In, verse, in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, this is where we were going to the place of, uh, of prayer. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Uh, this is being told by Luke. Luke is the writer of Acts. So apparently she's a slave. Here's a, here's a girl. She's a slave. Her owners are farming her out uh, to do some fortune-telling, making a lot of money. Well, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, Let's see, what terrible thing did the demon shout through her? These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Wait, what? (laughs) This this doesn't sound like they're under much attack, right? Um, Now, remember how crafty Satan is. You have to remember how crafty he is. You know, he doesn't come out like, I'm Satan, right? He doesn't come out that way. He says, Hey, you know what? Check this out. Have you ever thought about this? Hey, look at this. Hey, wow. Have you, let's just talk about this. You know, that's the way Satan works. He will even use truth to distract, right? He's an angel of light. A little bit of truth can go a long way to, to getting you off track, right? So here's a woman who the demon motivates to follow along behind Paul every time he's preaching and distract through truth. It's a really interesting story here. Listen to Paul. He's telling you how to be saved. These are servants of God. Yes, amen. That's it. Preach it, brother. Preach it, right? Now, how do you rebuke that? It kind of puts Paul in an awkward situation, doesn't it? Paul's like, and here's another thing I want to tell you. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yes. Now, and here's, you know, something really important. Yes, thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, and then, you know, and he's like, uh, look at what happens. She kept this up for so many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I love it that that's his motivation here. Real spiritual, right? He becomes so annoyed that he turns around and says to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Straightforward, done, simple, right? Notice again, he doesn't technically pray, does he? He's got that relationship with God. Paul is walking in relationship. He's a man of prayer. He's got the faith. So when he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, it's not just a formula. It's not an incantation. He's just pulling up, oh, I'm supposed to say, in the name of Jesus Christ. It, it's not a ritual. He is talking about someone who Jesus is inside. This is the, the, the Lord in whom he lives and has his being, right? His identity is in Christ. So when he commands in Jesus' name, it actually means something to the demon. Let's look at another example. If you flip the page over just to Acts 19, it gives us an example of someone who hears about this power that Paul has, and, and they want this power. They see, hey, Paul's got the right ritual. He's got the right formula. This Jesus thing kind of works. We want to try it. So there's other exorcists in, this, in the land who want to try this formula. In chapter 19, verse 13, it says, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. So that's who Jesus is to them, see? He's the Jesus that Paul talks about. He's the Jesus that Paul preaches. I command you to come out. It says, now there were seven sons of Sceva. Seven sons of Sceva. He was a Jewish, uh, Sceva was a Jewish priest, chief priest, and they were doing this. So you had seven brothers here who were trying to get their whole exorcism business off and running. And they, they want the right formula. They heard it works for Paul. They got the right formula. They're going around saying, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come on out. Well, one day, the evil spirit answered them. Hello. That just got real, right? And it says, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? <laughs> Jesus we know personally. Yeah, he's the son of God. Paul, he's been causing a lot of trouble for us. We've heard about Paul. How cool would it be, by the way, if someone like came to you and said, hey, we were casting out some demons, and they said they had heard of you. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, <laughs> doing something right. Um, but these demons apparently are not impressed. They say, we know them, but who are you? And it says that the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them. These are seven grown men, remember, trying to perform this exorcism, and overpowered them, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That's a, that's a beatdown right there. Uh, I, I, I've been uh, with some friends to a uh, UFC Ultimate Fighting cage match. I, I was there to pray and... <laughs> no, I was just there to see people beat each other up. But anyway, I've been there. And sometimes it can be difficult at the end of the match to know who's won on points. But I do know this. If you go into the ring wearing pants and you leave without your pants on, even... I, even uh, someone as discerning as me knows you have lost that match, right? <laughs> that is a, this is a UFC beatdown. So what was missing in these guys? They said the name of Jesus. What's missing? They found a ritual 
They didn't have the relationship to back it up. Yes, we must use the name of Jesus. It never says don't use the name of Jesus. We must use the name of Jesus when doing battle against the dark side. But using that name must blossom from a genuine relationship with Jesus. It's not a magic spell, right? It comes from a relationship. It comes from knowing him. Knowing him. Let me close with this. Jesus said, as we saw earlier, don't leave your house empty. Don't leave your house empty. That's very dangerous. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Years later, Apostle Paul, and he's talking to the church in Ephesus, he said, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what the Lord's will is. The will, it, it's, it's an issue of will. Remember we were talking about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's not heaven. It's, it's talking about a realm right here where the Lord's will is precedent, takes, takes precedent. Where his will, are we going to submit to his will or our own will? Are we going to try to assert our own will? Interesting direction he takes it here. Look what he says next. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. The context here, remember the context here is whose will is the Lord of your life? That's where drunkenness kicks in. Whose will is Lord of your life? And by the way, you can substitute any kind of intoxication today, whether it's from alcohol or weed or crack or prescription drugs, okay? Whatever you're abusing. Drunkenness is submitting your will to a substance. Your ability to, to make a God-given choice. To say, it's submitting, it's saying, I'll give up my self-control, the ability to make clear-headed choices, I'm gonna give it up to a thing. Instead, what does he say? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And the, to get all nerdy, the Greek form here of this verb, it's, it's a continuous verb. It's like be being filled. It's not a one-time event. Be being filled with the Spirit. Don't surrender your choice, your authority over to a thing. Be filled with the Spirit. Interesting, in the context of will, being submitted to his will, his way. Is your life submitted to his way? Are we holding on to something? I want to pause for a moment and just ask ourselves this question right here. Who am I making room for in my house? Who am I making room for to be my house guest? Who do I make space for in my life, in my body, in my spirit? And I'm not just talking to people who, you know, maybe you don't know Jesus and you're just kind of seeking him out. I'm also talking to Christians because there's some Christians here who would say, hey, I have the spirit of God. I'm saved. I love Jesus. But you know what? There's, there is this one kind of room in my house where the door is locked. It's off limits. 
some, fr- some friends and I uh, stay every once in a while. We go on a vacation with Mel. Uh, we, we'll go on a vacation using Airbnb. You ever use this service? You get to go live in somebody's house. It's a pretty neat thing. Instead of staying at a hotel, you get to stay in your house. And it's really nice. You walk in, and the whole place is yours, right? The whole place is yours. And you do, what's the first thing you do is, of course, you go through room to room, you know, and, you know, like the thing you would like to do at other people's house, go through their medicine cabinet and all that thing. Uh, maybe that's just me. I probably said too much. Uh, you know, you go check everything out. What's this house like? Oh, nice kitchen, nice, you know, the bedroom, the bathroom, everything. You check it all out. And invariably, every house we've ever been in, there's one, one door, it doesn't open. Some closet, some bedroom, something, it's locked. And sometimes there's a little sign there, private owner's space, do not open, right? There's that, there's that one space that we keep private, that one place. So many of us have allowed God into our life. Come over, stay, stay the night, stay the week. Make yourself at home. Don't go down there. You don't want to go down there, God. Don't go into that room. Don't go in the basement, whatever that is. And, and maybe because it's something that's in there, maybe it's something from my past, maybe it's something I don't want to stop doing. You know what? It might even be something that I don't really want to think about because if I start thinking about it, I'll probably get convicted about it. And then I'll have to, if I get convicted, I'll have to make a choice. And so my way of dealing with it about it is just being in denial that there is a locked room in my house. But this morning, I'm praying that God raises that space out of the realm of your subconscious, your hidden areas, and brings it to your consciousness, to your awareness. And so we have an opportunity to repent. Repent just means turn, go a different way. Let me tell you, as you allow the Holy Spirit to completely fill your house It doesn't make your life less boring or less interesting. No, no, no. When you allow him into every nook and cranny, it leads to increased love, increased joy, increased patience, peace, kindness, goodness. You'll have faithfulness, self-control. That's what happens when you allow him into every space. You experience less shame, less guilt, more confidence. You'll have a better, more beautiful life if you let go of the private spaces and are filled with the Spirit. Remember, this is a command that Paul gives to Christians, to Christians, people who are already indwelled by the Spirit. Uh, who, but they're not allowing him to have full control of their life. It's, what, it's, you know, it's why we call ourselves a church who wants people to be spirit-filled. We don't just want you to touch the spirit, experience a little bit of spirit, Holy Spirit. We want you to be spirit-filled and leave here with what you experienced here. Walk out the doors, carry them with you. Be spirit-filled. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to offer a prayer for us. Really simple prayer. We don't often do little written prayers, but this time I think it'll, we were led to do this. You don't have to pray this if it doesn't apply to you, but maybe this is your opportunity to, to say no to reserving a room, to locking a room in your house, to take away that no vacancy sign and allow God to just take up full residence in your house. If that's the case, I want to pray this with you. Let me read it first. 
and, and then those who want to, we can pray it out loud. We'll read it together. It says, Spirit of God, please fill me with your presence. I want to surrender my life fully to you. I want to think thoughts that please you. I want to desire what you desire. I want to live and love like Jesus. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in me. Amen. If that reflects your heart, then across the room this morning, can we just pray this out loud together? Okay, we're gonna pray it all, all at the same time. Here we go. Spirit of God, please fill me with your presence. I want to surrender my life fully to you. I want to think thoughts that please you. I want to desire what you desire. I want to live and love like Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done in me. Amen, 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 hallelujah. Prayer partners, come on up here. Praise God. If, if you're here today and you have anything at all that you need someone to stand in faith with you and pray about, whether it's physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, whatever it is, I, I beseech you, come forward and let these guys pray with you. Let one of these couples pray with you because they will pray with you in faith. If you're here today and you want to experience being one with Jesus, letting him completely fill you in your life for the very first time, or maybe you've just been far from God for too long, come up and let one of these guys pray with you. They will pray with you, rejoice with you, give you some next steps on your way, okay? Uh, for the rest of us, may you go from here, making disciples, healing the sick, spreading the good news of Jesus, and yes, casting out those evil spirits in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Have a great week. Be blessed. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.